As a young boy, I remember my mother being very religious. She prayed her rosary every day. Whenever I caused trouble, she was quick to invoke the name of the Lord. She seldom missed Mass on Sunday, and as a result, neither did I. However, as religious as my mother was, the good book she often quoted was not the Bible. Rather, it was Emily Post's Guide to Etiquette. After all these years, I have concluded that she is, was on to something. When it came to matters in my home, there was absolutely no compromising. Chew with your mouth closed, keep your elbows off the table, wait until everyone is served, ask to be excused, and don't forget to say thank you to your host, even if they served you Brussels sprouts. Christmas in our home was always a kind of mixed blessing. On Christmas Day, I could play with my gifts as long as I liked. However, the day after Christmas, they were completely off limits until I wrote all of my thank you notes. And I remember whining to my mother about the size of the gift, but mom, it was just a pair of gloves, or mom, there was only a $1 bill in that card. The size and the amount doesn't matter, she insisted, write them, thank them. I'm reminded of the day when one of my fifth grade friends had a sleepover at his home. Seven nine-year-old boys up all night making all kinds of noise. And I vividly remember the father coming downstairs several times during the night, metaphorically threatening our lives. It didn't work. So the next morning he couldn't wait to get rid of us. Instead of having us phone our parents to come and pick us up, he stuffed all seven of us in his station wagon and hand-delivered us, kind of drop-kicked us at the curb. So after I got home, I went into the kitchen and I poured myself a bowl of Captain Crunch, at which point my mother sat down, looked across the table and asked, did you thank Mr. and Mrs. Jones? Oops. She then ordered me to get back in the car, get in her car. She drove me to my friend's house where she waited with the window down, listening as I knocked on the front door and personally thanked his parents. Now, I gotta tell you, I think of that incident every time I read the gospel lesson for this morning. One day, Jesus was passing through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. On the road, he encountered 10 people who had leprosy, people who, because of their illness, were forced to live in camps way out on the edge of town people who by no fault of their own were cut off from their family 
and their house of worship. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, they shouted to him from a prescribed social distance. Go and show yourself to the priest, Jesus replied. Now in those days it was the priest and not the doctor who could certify that someone was well. Go and show yourself to the priest, Jesus said to them, and immediately those ten lepers leaping for joy took off running, and as they did their leprosy instantly vanished. Nine of them kept right on running, and actually who could blame them? They couldn't wait to go home and embrace their families for the first time in a long time. But one, when he saw that he was cured, turned around, praising God, ran back to Jesus, fell on his knees, and thanked him. I like to believe as he was running away with the others that day, he heard his mother's voice in the back of his head and instantly did a 180. When he saw that he was cured, he turned around, praising God, ran back to Jesus, and thanked him. Where are your friends, asked Jesus. Were not ten of you made clean? Are they not thankful like you? It was a rhetorical question. At which point Jesus looked down at the grateful man kneeling before him and he said, Get up, go on your way, your faith has made you well. Get up, go on your way, your faith has made you well. Now what do you make of that? I thought he was already cured with the other nine. Well, actually, he was. His body had been cured of leprosy with the other nine. However, it was his profound gratitude that cured his soul. And I love that. I love the fact that the experience of God's grace is not primarily about belief. How can I be so sure? Because the man they are very careful to point out in the Bible was a Samaritan an outsider who did not share the same beliefs as the Israelites. And yet Jesus did not question his beliefs that day. He did not ask him to recite the Ten Commandments or accept him as his Lord and Savior. So his healing was not about belief. Rather, it was about faithful gratitude. And that's what saved his soul. Years ago, C.S. Lewis put it beautifully, Gratitude is inner health made audible. Gratitude is inner health made audible. My proposal this morning. I believe the essence of all true religion is thanksgiving. That praise and gratitude to a higher power is the bedrock and potentially the great uniter of all faiths which makes this coming Thursday the most ecumenical holiday on the calendar. Now, American history has taught us that the first worship service in New Haven happened right there. The Tiffany window behind me depicting Reverend John Davenport preaching his first sermon. However, that history lesson is only half correct. The first Christian worship, yes, but not the first worship service. Decades before Davenport arrived, this area was the home of a small tribe of Native Americans. The Quinnipiac built their villages around the harbor. They hunted with bow and arrow for food and fur. 
They grew corn, the staple of their diet. They harvested seafood along the shining shores. And they worshipped too. They worshipped the Great Spirit with faithful praise and thanksgiving. One of my favorite books is Caleb's Crossing by Geraldine Brooks. It is a story of a young man who was the first Native American to attend Harvard University. And Caleb's life in that book is fascinating, to be sure. However, my favorite character in the book was the narrator. Her name was Bethia Mayfield. She is 12 years old. She is part of a community of English Puritans. And her father is the village minister. His goal is to convert and educate the Native Americans, convert them from their pagan beliefs in Christianity. But little does he know how restless and curious his daughter is, how she yearns for an education of her own. However, that's not an option because she is a girl. So Bethia decides to educate herself. As often as she can, she sneaks away to explore the glistening beaches and spy on the Native American people. One afternoon on one of her secret walks, Bethia experiences something so beautiful and profound that she had a sudden unorthodox conversion experience. In her words, I followed a native pathway leading through a thicket of stunted oak, shadbush, and bayberry. The scent of beech plum flowers hung humid in the air. I had no idea how far I walked when suddenly the honey fragrance of the plants gave way to the sharp tang of wood smoke. Seconds later, the path curved and dropped away into a bowl of grassland. Below me, the natives were dancing in a wide circle, shaking corn-filled gourds and beating rhythmically on small skin drums. My first thought was to run back and warn the others that the natives were nearby and in numbers large enough to threaten us. But then there rose a voice, a voice high and fierce and beautiful. And the sound went to the very core of me, and I could not turn away. The natives were calling upon their gods, praising, thanking, and beseeching. The drums beat in tempo to the rhythm of my heart, which seemed to be swelling with the sound. I felt my soul hum and vibrate in sympathy with their prayers. There was a power here, a spiritual power, and it moved me in some profound way. And then this devout Christian girl says the following. I had striven for this feeling week following week as a dutiful minister's daughter at the Lord's Day meetings but our austere worship had never stirred my soul as did this heathen's song. So what happened to the Quinnipiac Indians and other tribes like them? Where did it all go wrong? Well, part of what happened is our New England ancestors began to see themselves as the new chosen people who were entitled to the new promised land. To put it another way, to put it my way, when religion gets too specific around who's in and who's out, it becomes divisive and destructive. Which is why 
Which is why in our closing hymn, in the verse about the pilgrim feet, we sing the words, God, mend thine every flaw. The essence of all true religion is thanksgiving, and we don't need to get too specific beyond that. That's the power and the eloquence of Psalm, the psalm that Denise just read. Psalm 150 has the word praise in it no less than 13 times. And there is not one single syllable about who's in and who's out. And there doesn't need to be any. Because the fruits of praise and thanksgiving are tolerance and ethics, mercy and justice, peace and unity. If you have a thankful heart, you will leave in your wake tolerance and ethics, mercy and justice, peace and unity. It is that simple and it is that profound. In fact, that was the very religion of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was not a Christian in the orthodox sense. He did not believe in predestination. He did not believe in the virgin birth. He did not believe in the divinity of Christ. He did not believe in the blood atonement. However, he did believe profoundly in giving thanks and praise to a higher power, a creator God from whom all blessings flow. And he also knew that corporate thanksgiving and praise is the great uniter of people and also of a nation. And he expressed this eloquently in the fall of 1863 in his Thanksgiving proclamation. The year has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies, to these bounties which are so continuously enjoyed, we are all prone to forget the source from which they come, these gracious gifts of a most high God. Therefore, it seems proper that they should be gratefully acknowledged with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and those who are at sea and those who are traveling in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise. May President Lincoln's nonspecific theology guide us and this great nation. May it be our guide as we gather around our Thanksgiving tables on Thursday with people who may not share our beliefs. May we give politics a break and delight instead in the essence of the day, that which is healing and forgiving and uniting. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices.